And before we jump into this audio recording, it might be helpful for us to pause and take three deep breaths in. So I'll take three deep breaths and whoever you are, wherever you are, maybe the invitation here is to also take three deep breaths in at the belly. I find it interesting that before we arrive and jump into any podcast or video, rarely ever is there a pause to acknowledge what we're bringing to this session. And so at any point through this experience that you feel like you need to connect back with your breathing, that invitation always exists. And so I'm going to talk a little bit today about just a story and um, what's going on with Evolving Minds right now. So last week I talked about Post Secret You, and I said that the creator of it was Kevin Briggs, and actually that's false. The creator of Post Secret You is Frank Warren, and Kevin Briggs was also at the Active Minds National Conference, and I spoke a little bit about this last week. Kevin Briggs is a suicide prevention, uh, I believe he's a patrol officer, that he's known as the Guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. And apparently he's talked over 200 people out of jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, if you've ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge, you kind of know that it is terrifying. Even just walking across it is very intense. And so uh, about in 2018, my girlfriend and I, Fiona, who I, I love deeply, and I'm surprised that I haven't brought her into this stream of consciousness yet because she's very much a part of my life, and we speak almost daily, FaceTiming. She's currently in graduate school to be a school psychologist, and you can see how both of our kind of paths are aligning. And we went on a journey, a 12-day trip all all through California, and we started in Joshua Tree National Park and kind of went north, and we visited a bunch of cities, so San Francisco, Los Angeles, Crescent City, all the way up north because I was doing a a 12-day wilderness, sorry, I was doing, not a 12-day, I wish it was 12 days, honestly, but I was doing a month-long wilderness EMT course through the National Outdoor Leadership uh, Society, Knowles, and it, it was an incredible training. It was just so intense, and there was, we were learning so much about physical trauma that it was very overwhelming for me, and I was away from home, so there was kind of that homesick loneliness that I was experiencing. So we went on this trip, and one of our, of course, experiences in San Francisco was to see the Golden Gate Bridge, and we went across the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, if you've been there, when immediately when you, before you even get on to the Golden Gate Bridge, there's signs that are alerting you to crisis numbers. If you're in a crisis, here's the number to call. So immediately when you go on, you're being kind of attuned to this is a place that is notorious for people to jump off. And I had known this from my Active Minds experience and listening to Kevin Briggs. I believe he has a TED Talk or other talks. And so this was in my consciousness, right? And 
I was with Fiona and we were just walking on the bridge very slowly, taking it all in because I had my camera, so I was taking photos. It was, the traffic's right next to you, so cars are just whirring by, whizzing, whirring, whatever. They're just going by really fast. It's super windy, super windy, and there is, it's kind of cold. It's cold and it's super windy, and we're walking across. If you look down, you'll see boats, but these boats are like dots. They're, you know, they're big, they're big-ass boats if you're next to them, but because you're on the Golden Gate Bridge, they look so teeny tiny. And so as you're walking across, there's other people too. There's joggers, there's bikers, there's even occasional cop that, you know, is going by on a bike. And this is a patrol cop that most likely is trained to, if there's a crisis, you know, preventing that crisis from happening. So we're walking across, and it it took a long time to even just get to halfway. And we were moving kind of slowly because, once again, we were taking it on. But it was terrifying being up that high. I definitely don't have a fear of heights. Maybe I do. But just looking over was kind of almost nauseating. And so we get to about maybe approaching the halfway point, and all of a sudden, a cop on the bike whizzes by. And Fiona and I kind of notice it, and we're like, that was odd. And we start to walk down where the cop had whizzed by us on the bike. And we could see another cop car had pulled up, stopping all of the traffic. And all of a sudden, we could see this cop who had someone in, who was holding on to someone and was lifting them off the bar and putting them in the cop car. And this was very surreal because. In this moment, there had been someone, a human being, that was about to jump off. That was about to jump off this bridge. And so if I had taken one or two less photos, who knows if Fiona and I could have been right there at that moment that that human being was about to take their life. And thankfully, it didn't happen because the the patrol officer, you know, grabbed them, put them in the vehicle, but we were able, we walked by and we saw this individual in the car in very much kind of a distressed state. And it just didn't seem real. It didn't seem like that this was happening, that how could we just walking across be witness to an attempt? And knowing my background with mental health and working with young adults, it it just kind of hit home like, wow, You know, we were on this vacation, we were on this trip to really explore and sightsee, and here we are grounded in reality. And so when we crossed the bridge, we had to take a moment to kind of reflect and kind of check in with each other about the experience and the intensity of it, because it was definitely emotional from our end, just kind of being in that space, knowing that there was so much suffering that was going on in this individual's life that they were thinking of ending it. So I'd like to pause again in this conversation and invite maybe three deep breaths inward again. And it's very important to break the silence and talk about suicide because 
it's, you know, when we move through the day, we see and we interact with people that may be suicidal. Or if they're not experiencing suicidal ideation in this moment, maybe they did in the past. Or maybe they're going to in the future. We have no idea. And so breaking the silence and breaking the stigma is really powerful. And I encourage you to check in with your loved ones. I encourage you to check in with yourself and close friends, estranged fr- strange friends. I can, you know, even think on my, f- if I could count on my fingers and my hands, I could probably count or name five to 10 people that I may be concerned about, that may be at risk, that I've checked in and maybe haven't heard anything back from them. And so it's a real thing that happens to thousands and millions of us. And it's really important for us not to be afraid to have that discomforting conversation. And and here's something that's backed by research and evidence. Talking to someone about suicide or suicidal ideation is not going to plant a seed or an idea that does not already exist. And this is a really important fact because having this conversation, we could be like, well, what if I, you know, if I ask someone if if they're suicidal, uh, what what if that plants an idea in their head and then they go take their life? I'm going to be responsible for that. That's not really, it's, it's, it's usually, the ideas are, are there if, if they're there. But also suicide has a high, um, sometimes it's, it's very something that happens impromptu. It just happens in the moment. It, it, there, maybe there's not a lot of conscious thought and deliberation. So just asking someone, if there's uh, risk factors that are present, then that might lead to them not taking their life, which can be very important. So what might some risk factors be? And I'm not, you know, a licensed counselor, clinician. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a uh, psychologist. But here are some, maybe some risk factors from my own experience that you may want to check in with someone about. And you don't necessarily have to ask are you suicidal? But maybe just, hey, how are you, you know, what's going on? I noticed some of these patterns and some of them might be not leaving the room, not getting out of bed. Other risk factors might be giving away possessions, really kind of going inward, not talking to people. You can kind of pick up some risk factors in the way people speak. So language such as any talk around, I'm going to take my life, even if it's in a joking manner, killing myself, those are all risk factors. Even if it's a joke, you're still going to want to be like, hey, I noticed you used this language. It didn't sit well with me. I want I want to check in. High, subst- a lot of substance use. Uh, if there's a risk of uh, lethality, so let's say there's guns, that's a huge risk for suicide. Uh, if there's a risk of, you know, different types of medicines. Sometimes those are prescription. Prescription medicines can have a risk to uh, losing a life uh, or taking a life. And sometimes it can be household medicines as well. So you want to be careful and noticing and being aware of, well, what is in my home or environment? What could possibly lead to um, some type of end? 
Another huge risk factor is loneliness. If the person is does not have a lot of friendships or a you know has a small social network, that is definitely a risk factor. If you don't see them experiencing a lot of positive emotion, as if there's a lot of flat affect, then that could be a risk factor. But sometimes you don't know. Someone can be completely uh, just going through the motions of day to day, and you would have no idea. And so. Just having a conversation about mental health can be very powerful, and I encourage you to do so. I'd like to transition the conversation a little bit about to, you know, what's happening with Evolving Minds. And and so last week we piloted, uh, we did a one-hour session with the University of Maryland Human Resources Department to bring our resilience workshops and mindful living for professionals into the University of Maryland community. And this is really important for our kind of strategic vision because we want to embed ourselves into all these different institutions that exist. And the University of Maryland has a, it's a city, right? There's over 40, 50,000 people. If we can start embedding our programs into, let's say, existing structures, then this is how we can lead towards positive change and uh, mental health prevention. So I'm very excited about this. And I'd like to actually talk a little bit about one of the experiences that it's a part of the Mindful Living for Professionals, it's a resilience skill, and it involves gratitude. And so I was sitting in an office environment with about four or five University of Maryland Human Resources uh, professionals, and I was guiding them through two different resilience skills that are a part of this Mindful Living for Professionals program. One of them is what went well. So what went well today, I've talked about this in another previous Stream of Consciousness podcast, And the other skill is a gratitude letter. And so the gratitude letter is an invitation to write to, and you can even imagine this in this moment, you can kind of pause and and reflect as I speak, or later on, you could even try this out. It's very powerful. And the gratitude letter is imagining someone in your life, a person, place, thing, nature, maybe it's a a faith-oriented, maybe it's a, a colleague, a teacher, a mentor, a friend, a favorite animal, imagining out of this pool of humanity who has had the deepest impact on you, the development of who you are and where you've been going in this world, who has impacted you deeply. And the idea is to write that individual, that being a letter, thanking them. Here are all the reasons why. Here's how I've changed. Here's how I've been able to spread kindness and and love to the world because of you. Thank you. And then the the the, the awesome invitation is to share this letter with that person. And and the response that I get from the professionals, I could tell that this was already a connected environment, so it was awesome. You know, each person was like, "Yes, this was kind of a profound experience for them in a way that this isn't something that we pause and do day to day." And yet it connected the people there. We were actually able to share with one another, you know, who we wrote about uh, and and what it led to was connection. But it's also difficult because it's it's asking you to be vulnerable in a professional environment. And and so you're kind of balancing. And, and I and I express this as a facilitator in the moment. Hey, you know, I'm noticing in myself some, you know, some 
sense of vulnerability, you know, should I be vulnerable uh, as I write this letter? You know, Anthony, don't, this is me in the moment, don't cry, Anthony, don't, that that would not be good for, you know, professionalism, a pilot, who knows what the outcome would have been, you know, but there was some suppression, I think, of emotions on my end, and and I'd like to read with you the, the letter that I wrote. And a lot of times when I'm facilitating, I'll also engage in the activity itself. Dear Beamer, I'm glad that we spent our childhood together. And I'm thankful for that one day we spent in the yard, me with my camera and you barking at nothing, like always. That was one of my favorite traits about you. You ran out into the yard like it was your home, and it was your home. Lots of laughter and smiles. Good memories in the backyard. Running around in the snow, especially in the blizzards when you couldn't even see where you were going because the snow was so high. Jumping around and constantly attacking me in a playful way, of course. You had quite a personality and you kept me company. Because of you, I was never alone or lonely. Love you, bud. Forever and always, Anthony. I'm going to just pause for a moment to notice what maybe feelings or emotions are here for me in this moment. So I actually am going to edit out the sneezes, but I just sneezed twice. (laughs) Here we are. And so, yeah, in that professional environment and pulling up those feelings a little bit, it was like a little intense, I would say. I didn't feel intention, like the intense nature of it in that moment, but you can imagine if you have an environment of professionals that are disconnected and burned out, what that could do, the light switch that could be turned on. And so as a mindfulness teacher, I'm also engaging constantly in my own practice. And so this past weekend, I was involved with, I'm in a mindful um, living, a year-long program with Jonathan Faust, who is Tarbrock's husband. So it's it's a community of teachers for sure. And if you don't know who either of those individuals are, definitely worth checking out there They've spent 40 plus years developing mindfulness practices and teaching, so very wise in many ways. And we were in this day-long retreat. We were sitting in, there's kind of these one-on-one pairs that we break off into, and we do something known as a RAIN practice. And the RAIN practice is a powerful meditation where you're kind of recognizing what's coming up for you, allowing it to be, investigating its nature, and then nurturing, nurturing the experience, RAIN. And usually you're prompted to actually pull up something. So I was actually feeling quite calm and, you know, like relaxed. And then the invitation before we did the rain practice, and then the invitation is to actually work with and be surprised by what lives in the body, in the mind. I was doing this practice with a partner and we're actually kind of sharing what we're noticing as the experience unfolds. So it's pretty vulnerable and the partner doesn't say anything. They just witness. They just kind of listen and acknowledge and hear you without any words and you're kind of in a meditative practice and I believe the practice was around 30 to 45 minutes Jonathan guided us through it and what came out for me was this letter a little bit of this letter a week after I had written it I felt the emotions I felt some of the feelings and the grief and the loss but the love and and the smiling and the compassion for Beamer and and my childhood friend and and you know some there was some healing tears and and I experienced maybe some emotions within the chest and and uh, the throat and, and the facial region. And it was a week later that I got to tap into some of these suppressed 
kind of feelings and and uh, wow, right? Like there were some lo- themes of loneliness and and as, you know, the founder of Evolving Minds in this organization, I think it's important for me to be honest and acknowledge that at times, yes, I feel lonely. I feel disconnected. And it's important, I think, from a leadership perspective to be vulnerable in that way and, and, and share that this is, this is a part of the human experience. You know, I'm, I'm a human being and, and I, I don't have it all together and I don't know if I ever will have it all together. And if, and if that's why you're here, then you're in the wrong place because that's who I am. And so, and I actually shared with Fiona a little bit about, you know, some of this loneliness and she was talking to me about, well, how, males in your, in your age group, in my age group, are some of the loneliest human beings on the planet. And it, it really kind of makes sense to me. And, it, and it's really sad. And, and I felt kind of disconnected from a lot of my friends because they're either in grad school or we've drifted apart. And so I really do move throughout the day without really a loving community in person that's my age that I can really connect with and share life experiences. So over the past few weeks and months, I've really had to befriend myself and take care of myself and it's been really rewarding for me personally, and uh, it's not always easy to get out of bed in the morning. So I'd just like to leave it with that, acknowledging some of my own mental health challenges as a, you know, I'll bring, I'll bring in some more because I think it's important. I've actually, I, I don't have diagnosable OCD, and I don't think I would call myself disordered, even if I would to share that with you. I have an obsessive and compulsive mind, and, and a lot of times what that looks like is recently because I've been more anxious and, and overwhelmed by kind of some of the magnitude of, of launching a nonprofit, it will show up in my body and, and I'll become overwhelmed. And, and, my, and so one of my patterns of fear and anxiety is, is searching the body for uh, bumps or... Um, cancerous things, right? Like looking to make sure that there's no bumps. And so a lot of times I'll, over the past couple of weeks, I've been like looking around in my mouth. And, and so when I find something, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, like, what is this? You know, I have to schedule a doctor's appointment and I keep feeling it over and over and over. And after five minutes of just noticing and feeling, it can become really, uh, and you can just feel the anxious energy in the body. And so I'll have to pause. And this is where mindfulness comes in a lot of times where I'll either breathe or let go or, do something else or, or, or really kind of allow myself one question that you're really getting a stream of consciousness today. One question that I like to ask myself in those moments is what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of in this moment where a lot of times it's death, leaving this world, uh, getting an incurable illness like or a disease. These are things that are a part of this human condition that we run away from all day. And yet so many of us, so many of us have these challenges. And I really appreciate um, me. I really appreciate me. I really appreciate allowing, uh, you know, here's some space for me to share some of the truth of my experiences. And I think some people would kind of be aghast, I hope that's a word, that a leader would share their vulnerability, that they don't have it all together, that some days are, are tougher than others, that anxiety and fear and loneliness is a part of their life. But I I think it's important for you to know that many leaders, just like me, share in these same uh, characteristics. And so it's always important for all of us to check in with one another. 
with that, maybe we'll end it with three deep breaths since we began with three deep breaths, taking a few deep breaths in if you'd like. As my dad would always say, and still says, stay tuned. Bye-bye.